Hello and welcome to the Granter Podcast. I'm Ted Hodgkinson, and today I'm delighted to be joined by one of Granter's best of young Brazilian novelists, Michel Laub. We'll be talking about his story Animals, which opens this issue. We'll also be talking about dogs, ducks, giant otters, fathers, and many of the other characters and themes that run through it. Michelle, it's wonderful to be here in your hotel room. Um, it's a change from the Grand to Basement. Um, you've been here now for a week, um, launching the Brazilian issue, and I wondered how it's been for you. It must have been quite a whirlwind. Yeah, I'm a bit tired, but uh, has been a wonderful week because I, I'd like, I love to be in London, and uh, it's very interesting for me to see a reaction of uh, the reaction of people who read my my story in another language. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and to move on to the story, um, it's it's an extraordinary, a really extraordinary story. It starts the issue off, um, and I think part of the reason it starts the issue off is it has this incredible precision and and bite to it. Um, and I wondered, I mean, have you? Is this a style that's evolved over time, or is it something that you know you adopted for this story? Usually I write uh, novels uh, which has another economy, another rhythm and uh, another kind of uh, approach that you can have. And when I write uh, short stories, I try to be as much uh, concise as I can. Mm. And uh, in Portuguese, uh, it's, it's quite a challenge to be concise because we have a, our language is much more uh, Baroque than English usually, at least the literature form of language. We use more words to to speak uh, about something that in English you can uh, put in only one word. Mm. So it was uh, uh, for me it was an effort to to write a short story like this. And now uh, working with a translator, it's an effort also to put it in English because I have even I have to be even more concise. Mm. Just to give a little bit of um, background on the story, it's it's the story of. Um, a writer who's reflecting on the death of a family dog, Champion, who's killed by a next-door neighbor's dopamin. But that that becomes the starting point, but it's also, it's kind of, it becomes almost an inventory of losses, you know, these losses that build up and the, the sections are broken up into numbered sections. Um, um, it's this gradual accretion of, of absences that, that have been impacted, that have had an impact on him. Um, that's... It's quite a striking structure because it moves, it doesn't exactly move in a straight line. It moves sideways into other losses that he's felt. Um, is that a, do your stories often have a structure that sort of moves through a theme rather than chronologically? Yeah, usually in the, when I write short stories, which is not uh, very common, I like to, to think about the Hemingway theory of uh, the tip of the iceberg mm. and uh, the, the very idea that you can speak about something uh, uh, apparently uh, speaking about other things. So in this story, I, my intention was to, to talk about the, the loss of the father. Mm. Uh, I mean, the, the narrator is speaking all the time about his father, and, uh, but he's not speaking, he's not talking uh, dire- directly about the loss of his father, he's uh, using uh, the loss of his pets and friends and his city and all the background that he have uh, during this uh, childhood. 
to speak about something bigger, which is uh, the loss of the fauna. Mm. And and sometimes, curiously, there's there's a, a European inheritance to this story, and that um, the the narrator's family have come fled from Nazi Germany, and there's this strange absence there because um, they're in this they're in Brazil, but they there where there are really no traces of that European past. So everywhere history is is pressing up against them, but it's also just it's vanished. So there's this strange hinterland that they're surrounded by yeah that's probably something that the the english reader will feel more than uh, the brazilian reader because i made in this story uh, a lot of ref i have a lot of reference of uh, another former uh, uh, of former stories of mine uh, especially the novels so the brazilian reader is more familiarized uh, with um, my background uh, for instance the the Jew heritage and uh, the Porto Alegre background and stuff, mm. and I, I made some kinds of internal jo jokes even mm. um, in this in this story that uh, maybe for a Brazilian, uh, I think for the Brazilian reader it will sound natural, mm -hmm. but for the English uh, reader it it would uh, it will sound a bit more strange as you as you say maybe it's it will sound like it will sound it, it will sound maybe uh, for uh, an english reader it uh, will sound like uh, an absence as you told mm. um it is interesting how the father is is unable to speak um he there's a moment in the story where he says i never talked to my my dad about his past and that Silence on the on the part of the father is quite sort of overwhelming, and um, one of the things that comes out of that is the boy, the young man, seems very acutely aware of aggression, different types of aggression. You mentioned animals; their dogs killed by the Doberman, which is obviously a sort of fierce beast. Um, and he has this very vivid dream about otters, giant otters, which his father tells him the story of, over a series of nights where. Um, someone falls into a cave, an otter um, sanctuary, and is mauled and 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 um, violently attacked by this this pack of otters. And we think of otters as quite beautiful creatures, but that but the the father sort of explains that they wouldn't have attacked had the person not dropped in there. But but you can't. There's a sense of the boy looking at the father's blind spot there, which is the violence. <laughs> The, the the extreme um, bloodshed really that these otters inflict and obviously it goes right in because he's dreaming about it so I guess there seems to be a running theme here of of violence and in, in, in the animal world and that's a way for him to understand his father in some ways it's, would you say that's well I see these moments of violence in the story uh, as uh, moments of catharsis uh, the story it's much like about uh, a guy who, who never could um, actually speak with his father properly, and uh, so he he's now trying to explain how he how he suffers his father his father's loss, mm -hmm. and uh, he could not speak directly about it. So he used this kind of moment uh, when he, and I mean he he killed the dog, and uh, when he, he dreamed about the giant otters. Uh, as uh, a symbol of something that he wants to to say so intensely, but mm -hmm. he, he could not say because he's a very you know restrained and, and introvert and introspective guy. Yes.
like a true Hemingway character. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah, in that sense, yes. But uh, Hemingway usually is much more uh, external and macho and adventurous and stuff. And my guy is a bit, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the shy guy. He's more introverted. Like yeah. yeah. There is, oh, you mentioned the scene where he, he, there's this very chilling scene where he um, pounds glass into a lump of meat. Um I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done that because obviously you you would never do that. And but, obviously, yeah. <laughs> I'm not guilty about it. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. But um, it's it's a chilling, it's a chilling moment when um, the uh, he's a, it's a cry for help in a way, isn't it? I mean, it's it's as, he's trying to enact something to happen um, by doing that, and the 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 frustration that he feels his father is is coming out in this kind of strange secret act of of, of of violence, this random act to the dog. You see those moments in the story as cathartic yeah. moments, and and it's interesting that he. It feels like deflected aggression or deflected mm. frustration to me. Do you say that's true? Uh, well, that very moment of uh, that that moment that he actually poisoned the, the dog is the moment that he. I think in the short story is the moment where. Uh, when he is most critical about his father because in some way he was expecting his father to do something uh, with the neighborhood mm. with the neighbor who, who owns the killer the, mm. the dog the assassin dog that moment with the dog um, that moment with um, throwing the uh, glass um, the glassy piece of meat over the fence that seems like he's uh, it's in some ways a cry for help and perhaps in other ways would you say it's also the moment when he's contradicting his father most? Yeah, it's the, it's the only moment maybe in the, in the short story. And uh, it's in the very end of it where he, he is expecting some kind of reason, uh, reaction for, uh, for his father. And uh, it's, a, it's a kind of deception that he has. But in the, in the moment after it, he uh, kind of uh, uh, understands that... Uh, the father could not do anything and it's how life goes and uh, the loss is something uh, which is natural in everybody's lives and that's the first real loss that he have that loss of the dog and the loss of uh, belief maybe in a, in a kind of a super father or something mm. like this mm. it's it's, so, it's interesting that as you say he's 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 both he's an, a young narrator in some ways but he's also very old by the end of the story he's he's learned some hard things about his i mean he's been divorced there's a sort of period of time where he he goes through a sort of heavy drinking phase and loses all of his relationships in one short paragraph it seems that his whole life falls apart um and all the all the sort of decades that follow that um isn't that i think that's one of the powerful things of the story for me that he's both a naive character in that he's looking up to his father and expecting more from his father but also he, he's an adult who who has made mistakes in his own life and 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 recognizes his own limitations is that is that a tension that you often explore in your work yeah usually i prefer to i i i did it many times uh, i mean i i narrated the stories that was that happened uh, with the characters when they were teenagers or something. But I will always prefer uh, a narrator who is an adult when he's uh, telling the story because he could have uh, much more information about it. He could be much more articulated about the, 
all the feelings that were involved in, in that story. And it's not a, a naive narrator, never. Mm. So I could uh, explore some kind of um, ambiguity uh, between the fact that uh, in that very time, in the, in the childhood or, or in teenage time, it was something very terrible. And now he knows that 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 facts, that facts uh, were just natural. And uh, that's something I think is interesting. It's much better than to put uh, a young boy in a rating, for me at, at, mm -hmm. least, at least. Uh, it's much better than put a boy in a rating and uh, with all the, you know, the very matter-of-fact deceptions or something. Right, because there's a, there's a trend or there's a, there's a tendency to, when you have a young narrator, there's a tendency to play up their their sort of youngness and, and make them, you know, quite sort of wide-eyed. Yeah, and, and to play with the reader also, to to make the reader feel sorry about and, or patronizing about uh, yeah. the, a, a much less educated or much less articulated narrator. I don't like that. I prefer to to put the narrator in the same level of the reader. I think it's much more interesting, at least for my fiction. Mm -hmm. Um <clears throat> The, the story is called Animals, and we've already talked about the giant otters and the the dog, uh, the dog sort of saga, which runs through the whole thing. There's also a duck in the story, and I wonder what the duck, in some ways, is is doing because it's it's um it feels to me like the duck is in this middle ground between the otters and the the, the dog. It doesn't feel like it's um, as divisive, but. I mean, in, in lots of cases, the animals in the story are first intimations of death, aren't they? I mean, that's what they... You, especially if you're a young child, you get your dog dying is often your first glimpse yeah. of death. Yeah, first glimpse of death and the first glimpse of some, somebody or some uh, being... Uh, Someone else, some being. Some, some being that you have to take care of. Yes. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting to speak about uh, animals because you, you can have a, a very... Uh, intimate and strong relation like the dog like the guy and the dog mm. and a very uh, quick one as the duck for instance mm. the, which uh, only lasts one afternoon or something or the cat which uh, the cat that the wife uh, brought with with her when they yes. separate which is uh, which which story is, is tell only in one line or something uh, so mm. that contrast between the very intense things and the very quick things I think what it was something interesting to put that in the story. Yeah, that sort of a, a one-night stand with the duck. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the wife, and um, I think one of the really paralyzing things about this story, that I mentioned that paragraph where he's older and he's going through some losses and he goes to this bar every day to drink, is it some uh, chocolate milk and, and rum, is it? That's kind of <laughs> we call uh, in Portuguese we call it chocognaque, which is a mi uh, mixture. Of, it's 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 kind of a, a mixture between uh, chocolate and cognac. The, the word is a mixture, uh -huh. a mix of it. That sounds like that sounds like mother's milk. That sounds yeah, amazing. Something like this. Yeah, but it's very bad and very sweet, and uh, it's very uh, you know it's, uh, you are in the end of the line when you start to <laughs> to drink something like this at six in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, God. That, I mean, what, why would you do anything else? I suppose it's yeah. it's <laughs> um, it's it does seem to sort of it's like a narcotic for him, and it's not just the drink itself. He's going it's the period of his life, but um, it's it's one of these moments where you, as a reader, I think you see him going through this loss, this complete sort of downward vertical, and and he's his life is in complete limbo, 
and you want you, you want some action, you want something to change, but it doesn't, and that's it's quite um, as a I mean, and it's truthful and it feels it feels real and um, it's very moving. Um, and at the same time, it's very quick in the story. So, I, I mean, it was my intention to be, to to put all the very intense moments in a, a kind of a very quick or light way. Uh, I mean, uh, even for the death, the the death of the father, mm. it's narrated in the in the very beginning of the story in a very cold way of narrating, which is the most maybe the most important story of what yeah. he's uh, telling about, and. Uh, that's an effect that interested me when you say when you you make the reader glimpse about something but you don't uh, say any uh, anything further about it. so in that moment that he, he narrates uh, all this drinking problem and stuff yeah, that the the reader can have an idea that this guy well this guy suffered the consequences and he he's like some somebody somebody else uh, anybody else and he's not uh, only a cold guy who is narrating uh, like uh, it was anything else uh, it was not important or something I think this kind of uh, effect is interesting because it puts the rest of the story in a kind of suspension uh, mm. I mean when you the, the reader know that something is uh, strong and something is intense and, and something is behind so when you narrate the surface uh, the, you, you create a kind of tension and the reader knows that's something there because of that very glimpse mm. of uh, you know one paragraph that say that he was an alcoholic or something like this. Right, right. I think um, it, it's particularly striking because the because the prose is so spare and lean, um, and 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 quite matter of fact at times, and quite sort of um, there's a sort of casualness. I mean, it ranges from those really serious moments to the slightly more comic moments. I'm I'm thinking of the line in. In the third section, um, the only other pets I had were a hamster, a duck, a cat, and a second cat. And I just love that use of cat and second cat, because it, you, you, you could have just said two cats. But I, I love that way it pops up again. And in, in English, uh, probably it sounds differently, uh, as in Portuguese. Mm. You mean that the funny part? In Portuguese, when I say uh, I have a duck that it's called Donald, Yes. Uh, uh, in Portuguese, it's kind of funny. In English, probably not because Donald Duck, of course, is an English name. Yeah. But in Portuguese, you put something very pop inside the the, the, the story, which is a very sometimes very solemn or something. Mm. And uh, you put the name of, of a duck mm. as Donald. You a Brazilian reader probably um, re, uh, laugh about it or, mm. some, or, or know that's. Uh, that's another rhythm in the middle of the story. Mm. And I'm afraid that sometimes in English uh, I, I have to lose it. So that's the kind of thing that I could uh, discuss with my wonderful translator, Margaret, yes. uh, to, to try to keep sometimes the context. It's mm. not really easy. That's the tricky part of uh, yes. tr translation, of course. But you, you have to try to maintain it, at least. There's a, but to come back to that point just before, I'd love to talk about um, Margaret Jewel Costa's work here because I think it's really significant. But um, before we do, um, that kind of, when you're talking about delivering really important information very casually, or not casually, but very, um, without, any, um, um, without any effect or tone attached to it, if it's just delivered, um, I... I find that um, there's a. There, I think the reason it's particularly powerful is because that's often the way that really important um, information is relayed to us. We might go to call 
at sort of a two thirty in the afternoon saying that someone's been taken into hospital or you know you you hear about these things very unceremoniously and you don't there isn't often foreshadowing um or or and i think so is there a sort of um is that a sort of technique that i mean it reminds me of the philip larkin line about you know death happens at three what is it 45 in the afternoon there's that sense of losses that are impending but they're not announced and that's something that comes across in your story as well well, uh, when you think about uh, timing or, or something like this, it's always, uh, you, you can uh, think about it chronologically, or uh, I think the best way and, and the way that everybody feels about it, you have to think it about uh, something that is related to your own experience. Uh, so, of course, uh, a difficult year would be a very slow year, and a happy year will be a very fast year. So, uh, I don't I like it. I know this line about uh, of uh, Philip Larkin, but uh, it's kind of poetry effect. But uh, in the, the real life, it's not like this. The the, the death uh, comes uh, in in always in an unexpected moment. It could be two o'clock and mm. ten o'clock. I, I don't know. And it's always be the time of the dead. And uh, there's no time for it. I mean. Uh, in that very time, you you are not one second before you are not uh, prepared to it, and then mm-hmm. one second after your life change about. It. So that's how the, the things go. Yes, that's interesting. I, um, to talk about Margaret's um, wonderful translation here, um, how how has working with her um, how, how has that changed your own the way you see your work? Has it changed it at all, or do, do you go back to your work now and think, what's Margaret going to make of this? How's she going to I think you, uh, every author is, uh, before everything, uh, his own reader. So when you write something, you have to approve that text to go to the page before mm-hmm. uh, you publish or something. So you are your, your own reader. And after it's, it's published, you start to face the reactions of the readers, uh, the critics and the common readers. And when you have a translator to put it in another language, you face like a third level mm. of uh, interpretation of your text, which is really something interesting for every writer uh, because uh, you go to the very specific and complex levels of uh, questions. So uh, you have to try to to put in another in, in an instrument which is language and uh, a language that you don't master uh, mm. because it's not your own you have to put and explain to the translator wh- what exactly uh, feeling uh, what what exact idea you have you wanted to put in that moment mm. so sometimes you have to rethink about what you have done what you have written mm. and uh, that's uh, a process when uh, where you you always discover new things about uh, your own writing. Sometimes, for instance, you you discover that in some passage of your text you, you use some kind of irony. And in Portuguese it looks like uh, very natural for you. You are just writing there and it's, it sounds natural to, to use a word that is ironical. But you don't think about it in the in that time. Mm. And when you read again... Uh, some time ago, you you will see. Oh no, this is I use that word and not the other one because that's a kind of irony or an internal joke or or a reference for something that it's only known for a Brazilian reader. This mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it's 
uh, quite interesting. That's really interesting. Well, it's it's a pleasure talking to you, and um, I hope I hope we'll see you back in London again soon. I hope so. <laughs>